Drop off the kids or put them to bed. Turn on Childish with real life friends and podcasting virtuosos Greg Fitzsimmons and Allison Rosen. Laugh about the struggles and joys of parenthood. Grow closer to your children. Learn something useful or not. Maybe feel less alone. And maybe even put the spark back into your love life. Childish is for people who are parents or had parents. If you had no parents, maybe check out WTF with Mark Marin. Subscribe to Childish. New episodes coming soon wherever you listen to podcasts. Childish, oh shit. Last time I checked, I was still a kid. Childish, childish. This all freaks me out a bit. Childish, oh shit. How can I pet when I'm still a kid? Childish, oh shit. Who the hell is Hey everyone, hi, hello, welcome to another episode of Alison Rosen is Your New Best Friend. I'm sitting here with Beth Stelling. She's a stand-up, a writer, an actress. She's won all sorts of awards, appears frequently on Late Night. She has a half hour currently streaming on Netflix. Um, She's released two comedy albums, Simply the Beth and Sweet Beth. She's written for I Love You America and Crashing and more, and now has a new talk show called Drinks of My Life and a podcast that she does with her mom called We Called Your Mom, and she's lost her glasses. (laughs) And I can't stop talking about it. No, (laughs) it makes sense, though. You depend on them. Get right up on that mic. I never... I also... It just... It's kind of... Lately, I've been feeling old, and that is contributing. Like, when did I start losing things? (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. You came in, you... uh, and feeling bad about having, you, the fact that you were a little bit late, which is totally fine. You really were not very late, and it's totally okay. Um, but you were saying that you're normally pretty type A. Yes. I'm like the comedian that has their jokes organized and in a document um, where they were told what year they were told on what platform and how many times they've been told since. Is this a spreadsheet kind of thing? hmm mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, I was revisiting it yesterday. You know... That you can't underestimate just experience, meaning like sometimes I get really type A about it and I delve into that and I get obsessed and I'm very like, oh, I write all this and write then listen, listen, listen. And other times I'm just doing shows on the weekend, always recording my sets, never listening to them. Mm. And I'm and I'm realizing as I look back, it's like, yes, I could be meticulous and go through and be in this little mode or whatever, this little episode. But also, I'm getting better naturally. You just you just almost can't help it what? because repetition. Right. So like you learn from your mistakes. You almost just – it's more about trusting yourself than anything. So if I'm like, oh, God, I haven't documented it. I can just listen to a set from November 2017 when I did Portland. And then I see that I'm going to come back to Portland. So I'm like, well, what did I talk about the last time I was here? And it's like, oh, man, that joke's so much better. But I didn't like meticulously work on it. I just naturally fixed it, mm-hmm. you know? So sometimes you just have to trust the process. Right. Like it's intuitive. Yeah. What does the meticulousness... And by the way, doesn't it seem like the word should be like meticulation? Yeah. I feel like it should Meticulous. be. Meticulous. <laughs> what does the mm-hmm. meticulousness um, bring you? Mm. Something came into my mind when you were saying that and then I kind of lost it. Oh, um... Oh, okay. Sometimes I feel like I'm good at what I do. I have to trust that, you know, just because I've gotten work or produced work that I care about or believed in. Or sometimes you rely on your peers or people around you be like, no, you're right. Um, But sometimes I wonder how much better would I be if I actually tried? So the meticulousness Mm -hmm. is like, what if I really put my nose to the grindstone, listen to these, cut out certain words, was obsessed with the wording or word count and economy of language and all these things wouldn't it be that much better so yeah i think i've naturally struck a balance because i'm not always doing this i'm not always listening to sets Mm -hmm. it's more when i'm like i'm ready to film my hour is somebody gonna buy it and then i'm gonna perform it for those people and be like but is it ready you know then i start like 
almost cramming for a test. Mm-hmm. That's how I feel right now. Do you, I mean, I know that in comedy, it's generally believed that the fewer words, the funnier. Yeah. Do you find that there are exceptions? Yeah. Well, what's happened lately, I think, is... Um, sorry. That's <laughs> like, okay. What's happened lately <laughs> is that, uh, <laughs> that if I've listened to... I listen to something old... Or I even, I played this set I did in Melbourne Comedy Festival. It's called Upfront. It's like a thing that they do at all women's taping for their, I think it's for ABC Australia. And I am still telling some versions of those jokes. They usually morph or evolve. And I decided to share it on my little Instagram TV thing. I was like, oh, I'll share this set because it's almost like it was a late night set. So, and it's out there. So I might as well make it linkable to me. And I'm watching it and it's like, the original oration of the jokes is way better than where I have them now. Interesting. I've almost like, it's like uh, chewing gum until it no longer has its, mm-hmm. it just is turning to like nothing in your mouth. And or you really cutting taste. your own bangs. Yeah, <laughs> that too. I, it's like I've done, I've, I've added too much or edited too much. It's mm-hmm. like in its original form. And I think too lately more than anything, I've been wor- more worried about um, how they're being perceived. Why? Um, because that that set in particular is a lot about women's bodies and body image and fat and fat phobia and all these things. And I've, I mean, I haven't come under major fire. I mean, everybody's who performs is exposed to commentary because the comments are on unless you turn them off. So it's minimal, but I read things, unfortunately. And <laughs> some people have argued that a joke of mine is fat phobic Mm. and it's just one of those things where it's like, I don't know. It's, it's, it's a tough position to be in because I have been fatter. I've, uh, and when I first started, I was, so a lot of those jokes I wrote were self deprecating as a 22 year old. And I didn't really know that I had lost weight until the joke stopped working. Mm. And that kind of is very indicative of how I feel about it in general uh, we all say like, you are what you eat or whatever. It's like, no, you are what people tell you that you are constantly like fat, tall, big, whatever people are telling you, you absorb. And I think as an adult, you becoming an adult is about realizing you don't have to absorb everything people say, mm. you know, obviously you don't want to ignore huge repetitive signals like, hi, you're treating me badly. You're treating me badly. And no, that's just what you think. I'm doing great. <laughs> you know, you don't want to ignore those things. But right. if someone is saying like, oh, well, you'll never be thin or you're just kind of like a bigger girl. It's like, you know what? I don't have to absorb that. And everything is relative. So I try to make jokes about it because it is, it's not, I wouldn't say a sensitive thing about me now, but it very much formed a lot of how I view even relationships. Mm-hmm. There's relationships I look back on and I, th- and I would think things like, oh, if I were skinnier, they would have mm. kept dating me. You know, so I think it's definitely a part of my worldview and my perspective and what I went through. So that's what I've always taken the stance I've taken with my jokes, but I don't speak for all either previous fat people or, and that, that too is relative. I wasn't on my 600 pound life, but I've also been called fat by people Mm -hmm. in my lifetime. So it's like, you know, I, I think it's a scale and everybody has to decide how they feel about separately. I don't speak for all women, but I'm made to sometimes. The people who said that it was fat phobic, do you think that their personal feelings were hurt or I, for example, this happened in a similar way. Yes. I, I, I sometimes will respond to on our unfortunate president on Twitter very unoccasionally. What don't you like about him? (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) I don't get the criticism. (laughs) So some, it's just, I don't, I'm not even that political, especially in my comedy. Uh, but I think obviously we're all in a time where we feel like, um, you can't not be Mm -hmm. either way. I silly respond sometimes. One time he wrote. Washington Post, he was tweeting about Washington Post's fake fact checker. Fake fact checker. And I just responded, you're a fake fat fucker. Okay? (laughs) And then some girl who follows me who is a fan responded very like deeply, genuinely, yeah, I wish I didn't have anything in common with Donald Trump. Oh, God. But unfortunately, I do. And it really hurts when you compare me to him. Something like this. Like, she's chubby and therefore the... And I said... It, it, it re- I kind of had a back and forth and somebody even chimed in like, Beth, I thought you were a nice person that mm. listens to people. Why are you fighting this? Well, at the heart of everything, I'm a child 
that wants to always be right or make people laugh or want people to like me. So if you don't, I'm be like, why? You know, and, get, mm-hmm. and that's my initial sort of childish reaction. And then, of course, the adult in me is like, no, I do want to have a dialogue. I'm sorry I hurt your feelings. And I said that. But to me, too, it's like fake fat are descriptors of what kind of fucker he is. <laughs> and so that's, I got into semantics. And I posted a photo of me when I was at my fattest. And I'm laughing and I'm in talking, you know, leaning back and laughing into the microphone. I said, see, this is and here is a I think I said a, um, a fun fat fucker or a funny fat fucker. <laughs> and I tagged myself. Some girl was like, I'm, I don't know if she feels that way. I was like, that's me. <laughs> That oh, was a photo oh, of oh, me. Wow. Mm. So it's like, I'm not saying, I don't want to be the person who's like, I can tell hateful Jewish jokes because I'm a Jew. Mm-hmm. But at what point are you making comedy for every single person on the planet? Right. So well, I don't want to hurt people's feelings. I realize that my comedy has. And for that, I mean, this is like minimal. I'm not dealing with some right. sort of major controversy, you know, where pieces are being written about me being fat phobic, but I do have material on mm. it. And I think I definitely have gotten more positive from it than negative. I've had women actresses who I have worked with and adore who are in the spotlight say, I love this. You know, it makes me feel better and this or that. So it's like, okay, well, what's the gain and what's the loss? I know it's a, it's a real tough, uh, line to Hugh and I don't know if I'm using Hugh correctly but I don't care anymore (laughs) um so I am someone who was overweight when I was younger and then we went up and down and then I finally like lost it and was was not over like the fact that I can even say at one point I was not overweight it's like growth on my part was not overweight for years and years and years and then Mm -hmm. gained like two to three times the amount you're supposed to gain when you're pregnant the first time Mm -hmm. uh and the second time and now I'm still you know I'm in the process of trying to shed it but I had lost, I lost it after the first, see, the fact that I haven't even have to like qualify with like, I I lost it after the first pregnancy and then gained again second. Now I'm trying to lose it, but both times, but more the first time it brought up gaining weight because I was pregnant brought up tons of body issues. And I talked about that on the show and I think a lot of people related, but then there were people who said to me that it was like triggering to them or hurtful to them that I was, that I was, well, now I don't know if they said this or if it's me you know, it, like, interpreting, the way you but feel it. Yes, Sometimes because I was hurt your feelings. Right. Because like, I oh, was so. It hurts you that you hurt them because you're like, uh, yeah, I'm hurting. <laughs> I was so, because I was so upset over what was happening to my body. They felt like that was a criticism and I did understand it, but I also felt like, well, I don't know. I don't know how to talk about this exactly then. Right. And what happened and who am I if I'm not talking about my own experience on a show where I talk about my own experience? Sure. So I totally get Yeah, the and if conundrum. you delve into any sort of um, you know, there's always pockets of everything on every piece of every um platform of social media. If you delve into um lifestyle experts or health and wellness experts, you're I don't know if they're they've achieved any sort of professional qualification but maybe they call themselves that i actually don't know what that takes so i'm not knocking them but i don't know if some of these people just deem themselves that i think they do okay i mean yeah i don't know i think (laughs) i've decided they do do. and then i'm like i wonder how many actually have like a nutrition degree or whatever it is but you know if you delve into that world i think there's a lot of positive women and, and men i'm just mostly referring to to people who um i look up but I don't follow like fitness blogs for men for whatever reason. I don't follow fitness blogs, but when I go into that world, um, there's just a a lot of language and theories presented that I've never considered. Mm -hmm. So I want to expose myself to that, but, uh, like you're saying, it's tough and it's tough for me to want to be sensitive. And I don't know why, like I said, I really push back on that person where I was like, no, I'm a nice person. Mm -hmm. It's like, well then why don't you just say sorry? I was like, okay, I'm sorry. But like, I don't, <laughs> I wasn't hurting your, I wasn't trying to hurt your feelings. Right. I don't know. I was just trying to be funny. Yeah. Well, so, so wait, what, um, what kind of stuff do you feel you get exposed to in the fitness world that um, it has an effect on you? Well, for example, I think that the reason I even went down this road is I really like Queer Eye, the Netflix version. Mm-hmm. And you know, sometimes it's like a rabbit hole. You click on this, who's tagged in that, who's commented on this, and you just find yourself in this black hole. Right. And so I clicked enough times to where I got to a point where people were really criticizing Queer Eye, mm. like blogs and people who with 
lots of followers saying that they were fat shaming or oh. something like this. So then I keep clicking on that, who's saying this, going to these people. And a lot of them really were, you know, coming hard for Queer Eye. And I thought, I thought everybody loved Queer Eye. I mean, minus homophobic people. But like, I really thought everybody loved it and they yeah. could do no wrong. And I think in the world right now, too, that's especially difficult and, I don't know, scary. Mm-hmm. Because it's almost like, all you're trying to do is always be right, but always be on the right side of history and not mess up. Mm-hmm. Because if you do, yeah, maybe your career is over or maybe you're dragged. It doesn't feel good. But it's almost like people are, I don't want, I think it's a pessimistic view to say people are waiting for you to mess up. But I think the goal for a well, lot of people in their minds that, is like, just don't mess up. Yeah. Just don't say anything right. that could be bad when, you know, the. I hope the truth is that if I were to say something like that offended somebody i could receive it and go it doesn't feel good to be attacked like this i'm going to calm down i'm going to receive it and i'm going to say okay i messed up and i'm going to learn from it and i'm sorry you know but i think the defensiveness comes from but hey this was my life do you think there's a situation where you wouldn't feel like you should apologize because I know that um I definitely felt that I mean the joke that I one in particular talking about and I this is the one I didn't handle well the Donald Trump thing I just wrote like I'm sorry you feel that way I'm sorry but it it was just um alliteration more than anything (laughs) and uh but with the I have a joke on Conan that said um I just stopped I stopped weighing myself and I just asked somebody to draw me And if they reach for a marker, maybe I dial it back a bit, (laughs) you know? And I think I said, if they they draw a stick figure, I agree. You know, (laughs) something like that. I've since changed it. I'm more like aware. It's just like, it's almost making me um, walk on eggshells. And of course, someone listening who really cares would be like, boo-hoo, I'm sorry, you have to work harder, you know, like Mm -hmm. to try and be um, whatever you want to call it, um, sensitive to people's feelings, you know? But um, that one, like, people were calling me fat phobic. So then, of course, my joke was, <laughs> yeah, I am fat phobic. I'm terrified of being fat again. <laughs> so <laughs> it's, it's, you know, like, that gets a laugh. But it's also like, well, why am I terrified of being fat again? Because people are marginalized for being fat, treated less than, and that's why you don't want to be it. Mm-hmm. So what's the solution? I, You know what I mean? Like, I don't want to look at fat negatively. I have friends that are that are would be categorized as fat or obese and so i also don't want to go to them and say is this okay right (laughs) you know because i don't feel like i'm i'm that comic that is supposed to speak for um everyone or all women or people who have ever been there are times where it would be impossible to be that person there are times where i've even felt hatred towards thin people especially growing up I hate it's like that sorority girl that mm. treated me bad or whatever you, ha- you we all have experience of, of having our own biases so why why is my bias against skinny girls any better than people's bias against fat people I mean it's not mm-hmm. neither is okay but yeah I remember like probably when I was in my earlier years of stand-up I would one of my lines was something like fuck you if you look skinny in a coat <laughs> truly <laughs> it made me so angry it's like I just it's one of those things where Value is placed in our bodies as women. Yeah. Um, and to look a certain way is more valuable. And that's what we learned. Whether you were raised in a good home or not, or whether you were, you know, very, very obese or just chubby or whatever it was, but you had a negative experience. And so then that shaped you and it will always be with you. So me joking about it is really trying to take the piss out of the fact that um, women's worth is still based upon our looks. Mm-hmm. And it was a source of pain for you, it sounds like. Yeah. And the truth is, I was very active as a kid. I had a six-pack. Like, I was a gymnast for years. It wasn't until college that I gained weight. Mm-hmm. And so that's like kind of like, I always joke that I have like a really strong base. But like, I, I grew my boobs in college with ice cream because I was a gymnast for so long, I had no boobs. I just gained a lot of weight. And it was usually emotional eating. It came from going down to my dad's house because we had to. It was court order. We have to go visit my dad for a month in the summer in Orlando where I have no friends. Mm-hmm. Leave my mom in Ohio. And I sat on a couch, watched the OJ trial, and ate. So it's like, all I did was eat. I didn't have friends. I didn't, you know, I just sat around and ate. When did your parents split up? It was like when I was three. 
but um we started visit court ordered to go down there when I, by the time I was six, I didn't see him for a couple of years. And then it was like six, get on a plane Alone. with your, my two older sisters. Oh, okay. Although they always, if there was like two in an aisle, they always put me on the other side of the aisle. <laughs> Seems unfair. <laughs> well, I was, might've been annoying. And then I just always made friends with the person who I was next to. But, um, <laughs> I was like, you know, kind of rambunctious. Did they also not relish this month long Visit. Yeah, especially as we all get older, you know, can you imagine leaving your buddies? You get your summer to spend time together and then you have to leave for a month. Right. Or if you have a boyfriend or something like that. Right. Just friends. So eventually, like, we also had fun. I mean, our dad was the type of person who was like, I'm going to make it so you want to come here. I'm going to make it so it's like not only Disneyland, but mm-hmm. like Disney every day or whatever. Right. Mm-hmm. What's your dad like? He is mentally... Um, ill, but I don't know if he, he, he says that he sort of like cured himself through exercise and vitamins. Um, he was on, cause he's bipolar or manic depressive is mm-hmm. what it was when we were in the eighties. And, um, he was on lithium for a while. I don't think he liked the way he felt on that. And I don't think he is taking anything now and hasn't maybe for decades. Um, so he has OCD tendencies, very clean, you know, like when we were young, obviously in a, in a non, what I'm about to say is like a non gross or sexual way, but it was like the minute our clothes dropped to the ground, they were picked up and in the washer mm. and being shrunk. You know, it was like, <laughs> it was just like, you know, wiping everything down, even right. especially with his dog. He really is close with his dog because they can't talk and <laughs> will love you no matter what. And he like, um, he has a wiener dog wipe its butt with wipes shower with it brush its teeth he fed it lunch meat for a long time because he felt like it deserved it yeah and then of course it nearly killed it because it's got so much sodium he had to get like a thousand dollars of surgery or something to fix his stomach but um (laughs) you know it's like he of course loved us a lot but that was suffocating in a lot lot of ways too which you know in in the classic way it does affects your male relationships when you get older i feel like mm-hmm. the last guy i dated was very much a dad mm-hmm. and you think like oh no i'm not gonna do that we all know that that's gonna happen and then you're like ah. <laughs> <laughs> I did it again. so um but yeah he was just um yeah untreated i guess mental illness when you're young and then now he you know he's eccentric and he has his own like i've talked about this before uh but he has his own business and it's like he dresses up in different costumes, stands on street corners, yells at people to get them into the business that's paying him. He calls them oh, like wow. live road to commercials or character directionals. But his, <laughs> um, so he has like all these characters. We used to like, you know, help him when we were young. He would pay us like 20 bucks an hour or something to like bring him water or whatever. But he's also, because of that, like 20 know, bucks an hour? That's pretty He would pay us 20 bucks decent. an hour. Yeah. He started at like 35 an hour and now he's like maybe 70 an hour. I don't even know. What is so it? He's exactly. in demand. Yeah, because he, like, I guess the numbers are real. He likes to brag to me about them because you're like, they say there's like 70% more customers when I'm out there. Something like that. <laughs> he was one on, he was on Far Out on Fox one time in Orlando. And I remember, it's funny because, like, you know, you can joke around about your parent or whatever, but the minute somebody else does, you're like, right um but the woman on fire out on fox like the guy was like they they gave that statistic like uh-huh. when there's when birds out there there's this many more people and then she goes <laughs> she said one of the it cut back to the studio and one of the news anchors was something along the lines of like i roll or like pretty crazy or kind of insane or something <laughs> like that and i was just like oh, really angry at it. i was like don't call my dad that but yeah, it is a little insane. I mean, we have people like that here, and I'm sure people do all around in their towns wherever they're listening, but it's usually just like a teenage boy in front right. of Subway sandwiches, just like slowly turning a sign, listening to earbuds, like, <laughs> fuck my life. <laughs> that sounds like your dad is good at it oh, and he has ta- a passion for it. Oh my God. He's high kicking. He's pelvic thrusting. <laughs> There's, he's raising the roof. He's yelling. He gets up on a step ladder. I'm surprised he hasn't fallen in traffic. He brags that like people, you know, either wave to him. He's gotten a drink thrown at him. Um, he said he's been flashed, which I was like, gross. <laughs> right. I don't want to know that. And uh, yeah, so he has all these catchphrases and stuff. He's just, you know. What's he like? Has he come to see you perform? He's never seen me perform. Yeah. I was supposed to do the University of Florida. And um, which... Uh, 
is where our recently past friend Kevin Barnett went to college. Mm -hmm. And I texted Kevin and I was like, he's another great comedian writer. And I was like, should I do FSU? And he was like, "Um, yeah, I mean, I went there. You should. And he was like, uh, I said, did you do it? He's like, yeah. And he's like, I I totally bombed. (laughs) I was like, (laughs) which he always like took pride in in a very funny way. And so I said, fine, I'll do it. And it was for whatever reason, it was at the point in my career where, because here we're in Los Angeles. So to fly over there to Florida, it's not just like a straight flight. It's quite a few. Then you have to get a hotel, maybe a rental car unless the students are picking you up. There's just a lot of factors. Mm -hmm. And when you're younger, you're willing to do things for less money with more effort. But this was like a middle ground where I wasn't getting paid a ton and I was going to lose a ton on travel and airfare. I'm sorry. Yeah. Airfare, car, hotel. Mm -hmm. And I was kind of like, is it worth worth it? it? You know? And then my aunt texted me that my dad and her and my grandma were going to drive up and then I just canceled. (laughs) Why? Because I don't, when you do a college, it's, it's like, I just did university of Arkansas, which I always like going to, but, um, and I had been like four years ago when the kids were freshmen. So they brought me back when they were seniors and they opened it to the public. And for whatever reason, that kind of works, Mm -hmm. but typically you want like it's just like you and the college kids so it's like if your parent is there or whatever i don't change my act drastically for colleges but um unless i've been like one time i did notre dame with chris gathered and judah friedlander and it was like i knew they wanted a clean set but it was like five, i'm going up first and five minutes before we went on or 10 minutes it was like so you know like no sex drugs or blah 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 and i was like <laughs> okay even if it was just like a pot joke or something you couldn't tell it so i was like crap right and then you know that's the only time i've really bombed because i had nothing what so Um, what did you do i told i think i slowly told um clean stories but there was a kid that was like heckling very much wanted to be a con you can usually tell when they wish Mm -hmm. they were up there i think that they're better than you and i got him i forget how i did it but i said (laughs) something like i don't know like you handle a heckler, you belittle them in front of the group. <laughs> That's pretty much it. Was that hard for you to learn how to do that? Oh my God. Yeah. I was terrified. I was always scared someone was going to say something when I first started stand up. And then like three years in, I took improv classes to sort of like try to help me. Mm-hmm. Did it? I think it did. Yeah. I think eventually you just sort of had to trust yourself more. There are still times where like, I feel like I slide back in my confidence or my grip of of what I do. You mm-hmm. know, there are times where I like have to be like, no, you've been doing this a long time. You can totally handle anything. You know, have you figured out if there's a pattern to the circumstances that make you lose confidence? Um, maybe it's like, um, long periods of time without therapy. And by that, I mean like two weeks or something. I'll mm-hmm. like note by the end of it. I'll be like, my shoulders are by my ears and I'm feeling <laughs> inadequate. You know what I mean? And then I'm like, I better go see my therapist. And then I leave feeling more relaxed and like, no, I am. I am fine. I'm good at what I do. When did you get into therapy? Um, well, since when I was, um, yeah, about, I guess four or five because wow. my parents divorce was so bad. It was like court ordered mm. that we see a therapist. So Dr. Pam was my first therapist as a kid and I didn't really take it seriously, but, or no, Dr. Kino, I think. And we had to have like, you know, um, private visitation like or mediation i guess or not mediation is in court i think when parties are trying to figure it out this was like mediation as in the therapist was there when my dad first saw us again Mm -hmm. that type of thing so that was more like yeah when i was young but before that it was like drawing pictures it was a lot of drawing pictures and i've revisited and gotten back in touch with that therapist too and just like she's reminded me of things I've drawn or fucked up things. And you're just like, Oh my God. I don't know if it's good. I don't know if it helped. I remember. So yeah, that, that was like early our childhood. And then I think it just stopped. I don't know if like my mom was a teacher. So I think she had pretty good insurance. I don't know if it was just like, Oh, now we're done. Mm-hmm. I think my mom kept seeing her. Um, we probably had a certain amount of time that we were required to go. And then I didn't see anyone for a long time. Well, long time's relative. It was like, maybe 19 or 20 it was in college and I think I was just struggling I don't know I've always been a good student I was struggling paying attention and and probably like yeah I don't know anyway she ended up it was a psychologist ended up prescribing me Adderall for ADHD which 
it's very possible I had as a kid that makes sense. I always got really good grades, but my behavior was always commented on. It would be like, talks too much, or sometimes Beth is a little too friendly, or she'll finish her work first and then bother other kids, you know? (laughs) So it was like that type of thing. And I'm like, so I'm sure I had it, but like without Adderall or Ritalin, which in my mind really is just like legal cocaine, Mm -hmm. um, I found coping mechanisms whatever they were i don't even necessarily know what they are but i made it through school right i graduated you know with a forget 3.6 gpa or something from high school and college i was magna cum laude so it's like i was doing my work so then when i was prescribed adderall i guess it just made me kind of focus on procrastinating (laughs) and clean and stay up right so it didn't really help and i'm not a drug person like Like, i really i'm mostly scared of drugs so it was just like and I, I remember I had to watch The Godfather. I was a theater major, but it was a liberal arts school. And I had to watch The Godfather for some reason. And I remember my heart nearly like pumping out, beating out of my chest. And I was like, I got to stop taking these pills. <laughs> and then I think I gave them to my friend who unfortunately developed a problem, which goes to show it's basically cocaine. <laughs> so, yeah, I've been talking a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I had a lot of coffee. Coffee's my drug. Does it affect your sleep? Because I am someone Maybe who... Maybe now. I used to drink so much coffee and I never slept well and I didn't link these two in my head. I was just like, I'm someone who can have coffee at 8 p.m. It doesn't affect me. And also, I haven't had a good night of sleep since like, ever. <laughs> and then during pregnancy... But I think... I, you know, when I, I lost my taste for coffee and then I realized like, oh, I think it definitely has been affecting me for 20 years or so. Right. right. I know there's part of me that's starting to think like, what if coffee is all my problems? Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, who, I think it's Allie Ward who refers to it as anxiety juice. Yeah. And I, you, that had never occurred to me either. Right. That's very possible. Uh, but I did, I will say a couple weeks ago, I was on my way to a meeting, just like an animation company. And I tried decaf i think this was like just me like seeing like i don't have a problem <laughs> and i tried decaf and when i got there i was just like i couldn't find it i was wearing uncomfortable shoes i had to walk i mean it's not like i expect them to like, give me the front spot but it was one of those situations like it wasn't a lot but you know when you have to like park very far then find a map mm-hmm. and then find a treasure oh, that's so stressful and then find your meeting you know it was just like and i was like a half hour late and i was rude and then later on the email chain, I wrote, I'm sorry for what I said when I wasn't caffeinated. <laughs> I'm not a rude person. And I was very like, fuck this meeting. <laughs> and, you know, and we ended up having a great time together. But it's because they brought me coffee from the kitchen. And I was like, okay, I feel better. So I think I proved to myself that it wakes me up, makes me alert, and puts me in a better mood. See, all of this is making me think maybe there was reason to prescri- prescribe you Adderall. I mean, it sounds yeah. like it was too much. No, but, it's possible. But coffee is like kind of on the spectrum of it. I'm sure someone's going to write in and let me know it's not. But I just mean <laughs> in terms of the stim- of it being a stimulant. Yeah, I mean, I, there's part of me that wouldn't mind. Like, I'm sure there's a lot of writers who have it. There's part of me that's like, I should get a hold of Adderall and use it to write scripts when I need them done. Because I think it very much would help me keep focused. I have a, such a difficult time staying like focused on something and it doesn't help that we have social media in general it's a fucking nightmare i know and it was like get off of it it's like i'm not even someone who was instagram storing my entire life Mm -hmm. i'm like every aspect i'm just trying to get you to come to my show or laugh i mean what are we doing it's like you have to be on there more and more i have been like what are we doing like when i'm on my deathbed Right. I'm not going to be happy about all the time I spent on Twitter, ignoring my loved ones, but sure. paying attention to people I don't know. Yes. But I will continue to do it because I'm an addict. Yeah. I, I, you know, I think more than ever lately, especially last night when I put off work, I did go in for a voiceover this morning and I don't know, I wanted it. They said I could make tweaks to it to make it my own. And so I stayed up, put it off, put it off, put it off, watch Shameless and put it off and eat and then... I finally did it at three in the morning and it's like, I kept picking up my phone and refreshing it. It's like, no one's awake mm-hmm. on either coast. I mean, sure, maybe one or two people, but it's like, you have a problem. Last night was the first time I was like, this is a serious problem. Stop sleeping with your phone in your room. Mm, I do that. I think it's just more checking. It's less less posting, but I don't think that makes it better. Yeah. 
Yeah, I don't know. I I'll, It's just like looking. It's like a little rat pushing a lever. That's yeah. us. <laughs> that's, that's everyone, though. It is everyone. Yeah, it's I think sick. most people have that. They know exactly. You go to do something, even if it's like for your job. Okay, post the ticket link for my Vegas shows. Here I go. It's almost like you have to be like, post the link to your Vegas shows and sing it the whole time. Or else you forget why you're doing you, it. Yes. You get there and you're like, Nicole, oh my God, she has a new, you know, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Marcel's got a new dog. And then you like, and all of a sudden you're. I don't even know on some models Instagram who commented on a <laughs> right <laughs> on a freaking comedian photo or something. And then do you find yourself feeling bad about feel because I definitely I, comparing yes. is my worst problem lately comparing myself. I don't think I ever did it this bad. I definitely had it in me, mm-hmm. especially when I was chubby in college thinking like if I were this or if I were that, if I look like her, I would be also having guys like me. I was always just funny. And I kept getting reinforced with that. Everybody's kind of like, oh, that's in your head. It's like, no, I repeated example. I remember one time a guy, he was flirting with me at a party. And I may, I don't know if he, if I knew he had a boyfriend, but I was making him laugh a lot or had a girlfriend. And then I think maybe somebody came over and was like, dude, what are you doing? Or something. Oh God. The main thing I remember is him going, don't worry. She's funny. Or something like that. And the, of course, you, like you said, you take it your own way or however mm-hmm. you absorb it. But to me, it was like, oh, she's, I would never hook up with her. She's just, she's funny. Mm. <laughs> like, she's just here for my entertainment. I'm not like interested in her. Yeah. That's just how I felt at the time. I have a similar story. <laughs> um, and then I need to talk about Rothy's shoes. I have to. Yeah. I, I actually want to hear about that. They're, they're really cool. Um, but so anyway, uh, this is when I was younger. We were on our seventh grade trip to Sequoia National Forest. Mm-hmm. Um, this is not the story, but just a detail from the story. So we were staying in these little cabins, but then we went on this overnight in this f- another part of the forest. And I did not get the memo that we were supposed to bring two pairs of pants. So I just brought one pair of jeans and my pink pajamas and we were crossing a river like over these rocks. Oh, no. And I was, I was fat and uncoordinated. And I fell in waist high and I remember my backpack just bobbing along the back. And so then for the rest of the dumb overnight portion of the trip, I had to wear my pajamas and the whole thing was miserable. But anyway, at least you had those freaking pajamas when yeah, you were wet. That's true. Uh, but still, I, I You're, understand. Are you, do you consider yourself cups half full? Because that's very cups half full. Because I was just pissed that I had to be on the dumb trip. I think for everybody else I am. For me, I'm like, why are you alive? <laughs> <laughs> so anyway... Um, we were sitting, I don't know, like, I don't, we were all sitting in the dirt watching something. I don't know what. And these two extremely popular kids were to my left, Leah and Marcus. And if anyone went to the school, yes, I'm using their real names. And <laughs> Leah reached over and was rubbing Marcus's back. And How I was old are like, you guys? Seventh grade. Okay. So I, this was all very advanced for me. Yeah. Um, Ew. and then Marcus turned around and he's like, oh, it was Leah. Allison, you scared me for a second. And I totally, and I was like, oh, no. and I totally got it and like understood that like, yeah. yes, that would be scary for a troll like me to be touching your back, <laughs> but no worries. It was just cool Leah. Yeah. And I had so many experiences like that. <laughs> and okay. And so like I just said, like me sharing mine and then you sharing yours, I'm sure with mine, you can be like, well, he was complimenting you. You're funny. He liked hanging out with you. And he wasn't like, you know. No, I took it your way. Right. Maybe, That's maybe my because way. of how you framed and it. But. Exactly. And then so for you, it's like, oh, well, he was trying to be funny or um, maybe because you had like they're dating or something like that. You know, you can like everybody else can be like, no, you just you, you took it too sensitive. It's like, no, they're based upon a series of things said to you. Yes. I said this on Nicole's podcast, but I slept with a guy in my 20s and afterwards he said, I've never slept with a bigger girl before. Oh my God. Like we're naked. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? So it's like, and at the time, sometimes when these things are said to me, I'm not seeing it. I really am not. I'm not waking up, looking in the mirror and going, Oh, I hate you. Yeah. That being said, in a lot of my journals and diaries, it'll say, even from high school, which is so sad, get a tan, um, lose some weight, start doing crunches. It'll always be that type Mm -hmm. of thing. I'm thankful I never had an eating disorder. I, I just never starved myself or puked or anything like that. Thankfully, but uh, obviously some sort of damage was done there. Right. 
But yeah, um, what's, what people tell you or say to you affects you. It does. And I, like I said, I think in your adulthood, the best thing you can do is, well, not compare, which is very difficult. And two, not compare yourself to other people. And two, realize you don't have to absorb it. You can hear it and say, that's just not how I feel. Mm-hmm. Or that's not true for me. I wish I had that strength. And I think I'm developing it more and more. But it is hard. Yeah. That's hard. I mean, that thing of like what other people's opinion about you is none of your business, especially if you're in the public eye. Oh, my God. Then yeah. it becomes it's not only your business. It's like your it's vital information. Yeah. And that's something I was wondering earlier. Then then I'm talking about Rothy's. I was wondering earlier <laughs> when you were talking about, um, you know, trying to constantly um respond or change in the face of these comments you're getting Mm -hmm. like does that do you feel like that impedes your art because yes okay oh my god yeah that's where I'm thinking like before I ever got delved into any of those self-image or you know um I, I guess it's like like fat love or whatever a lot of these I wish I could think of a particular example mm-hmm. but of some of the people I came across. I didn't follow them, honestly. I just right. was like found myself in that corner of Instagram. But the more I delved into those, it was, it's like affected how I say out of my mouth. I'm like, oh God, I don't want to. But if you watch that set from Melbourne, it was before I ever watched any of that. And I was just like, this is what's funny to me. I have this joke in particular that's like, um, I always think I look good. It, referring to the guy who was like, you you're bigger and I was like am I or in guys I've dated where it's like mentioning I gained weight and I'm kind of like I didn't notice I did Mm -hmm. until you said something but the joke is like I always think I look good I think I have like reverse body dysmorphia because body dysmorphia is when you think you're fat but you're actually stupid so that's the joke (laughs) obviously I don't think women are stupid we're not stupid we're affected by horrific negative images constantly day after day and mothers but it's like (laughs) so but what am I doing if it's not, <laughs> I mean, like, it's all part of a chunk where I'm, I'm not like, I don't want to be like a social justice warrior. I want to make right. you laugh, but I also do have a point and it's that I am tired of you looking at me and wondering if I'm worth it mm-hmm. based off of that. Right. So that's, I guess, my way of dealing with it. But then I listened to a set since delving into that world and trying to incorporate some of their feelings and thoughts. And the set has become like, but you don't know. And this is from my experience. And blah, 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 blah. I know. You know, like, because the truth is, if I am talking about my experience as a heterosexual female, currently heterosexual, um, and I talk about like being entered and how if we had, you know, I have this whole comparison, but it's the idea that if we understood each other sexually, like men are sort of like, they just could have a better understanding of our bodies in, in a lot of ways. But then that's excluding gay men who you know, receive anal sex. So it's like, but I'm not a gay man. So I don't, do I include you in the joke and say like us, but, and then also gay men and blah, 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 blah. It's not that it's so hard for me. Like, oh, I'm sorry. You have to say an extra person. It's like, it's not that it's so hard. It's just like, why would I say that Mm -hmm. for them? So I think that's, I, I, it sounds basically that I'm being adverse to changing with the times. No, I'm it not. sounds like you're trying to figure out what is your responsibility as a stand-up comedian yeah. who's aware of these issues. That's what yeah, I that is think. Tr- kind of what I'm doing, which is way more than <laughs> a lot of people. Are <laughs> a doing. lot of the people I've dated. Yeah, you know what would help you? Super comfortable flats. Yes, like the kind made by Rothy's. Have you heard about this company that's making stylish shoes for women and girls out of recycled plastic water bottles, and they're insanely comfortable and machine washable here's the crazy thing when i heard they're made out of recycled plastic water bottles to me that's like oh are they like jellies like plastic no it feels like super comfortable fabric um they're really stylish they're really really popular they're you know they have a ton of five-star reviews and stylish people wear them uh including megan markle once she wore them they were flying off the shelves and also uh, our dog walker had them on and i said are those rothy's and she said yes they're the only shoes i can wear right out of the box that don't give me blisters that's how comfortable they are they come in a wide range of colors and patterns they're available in four different silhouettes and uh, good luck trying to choose which one you want i spent only like an hour and a half trying to choose. And at that point, they only had three silhouettes. Uh, plus, they're constantly launching new styles. So you're guaranteed to find a pair or three you love. New colors and patterns every few weeks. 
products, and they sell out constantly. Um, Playful Designs add pops of color to every outfit while still looking polished and professional. Check out all the amazing styles available right now at rothys.com slash allison. Go to rothys, R-O-T-H-Y-S dot com slash allison to get your new favorite flats. Comfort, style, and sustainability. These are the shoes you've been waiting for. Head to rothys.com slash allison today. How and when did you get into stand-up? Um, I was a theater major. Um, before that, I had done like humorous interpre- interpretation and speech and debate, and I did musicals. So my prior experience was more theater and like humorous interp and speech and debate is really just sort of like a little one woman show or honestly one one boy show. It was a lot of boys and um, fewer women, but that was getting laughs, being funny, playing at different characters. Um, so, and I was good at that. I was a state champion and that is essentially me standing in front of a group, making people laugh with Mm -hmm. not my material, but performing material. So then in that group, a friend of mine, um, in that extracurricular activity, uh, Will showed me Jim Gaffigan. He burned me a CD and I'll admit like, of course I really like Jim. He's wildly funny. It didn't like light a fire under me. I wasn't like oh yeah, this is freaking amazing. I connect with it so much and here I go, this is what I want to be. It was just like, cool, okay, very unreachable. There would never be a point where I was like, oh, that was something I could do. So I was like, I knew I was going to study theater, this or that, and I did. Um, And I was a theater major and then freshman year, they were sort of like, if you could, there was a project that was like, if you could do anything, what would you do? And I said, stand-up. So then I had to perform a little bit of stand-up and that was the first time. So I was like 18 or 19. And, you know, it was hard and, but throughout college, I was the funny one and I got the funny parts in my theater school. And I think it was just very, um, helpful to my growth. Very encouraging. You know, it wasn't a conservatory. It was like not an amazing, amazing program. So I get to perform all the time. What does, I actually just heard someone on a podcast, uh, mention conservatory and then the host knew exactly what she meant and I was like wait what do you guys mean what does that suggest prestigious it suggests like intense intense um I I don't know if boards is the word there's a term they use at DePaul DePaul is a conservatory theater school very intense very competitive Mm -hmm. and cutthroat I would say you know or at least in my time when I had peers going there Mm -hmm. it's very uh it's hard to get in and hard to stay in like one of my okay. my good friends was kicked out like he didn't meet the uh like i think you it's almost like you audition to get in and then i think at the end of the year there's like boards or finals where you have to compete to stay in wow and you know whether you're a good enough actor or not right <laughs> so um this was not a conservatory this was a liberal arts and you know if you were a journalism major and you had extra time you could audition for the musical or the play and show up to rehearsals at night you know mm-hmm. so it wasn't just limited i mean i think they offered preferential positions to theater majors but if somebody was really good they were going to give it to them right so that's like kind of the difference so you um and then i did i tried it a couple times before i graduated again so freshman year it was like i'm gonna give it a whirl oh it was okay and eh. it didn't you know and then as I grew more confident as a performer and I was, you know, working a lot, <laughs> not working, but performing a lot in different plays, I gained confidence. And by my senior year, I was doing stand up at school mm-hmm. at this dive bar. Um, and I had like lots of friends coming out to see me and support me and laugh. And I, I still have those videos and they are upsetting to watch. <laughs> Why? <laughs> They're just disgusting. <laughs> I mean, it's like me over, like my face is just really. I'm just like really over the top and pronouncing a lot. (laughs) And it's just, it's tough to watch, but I don't know. I was always making people laugh with family stories. And so I think when it was time to do it, I was like, Oh, I'll tell these family stories. What do the, the videos that you find tough to watch? Do you feel like you're being too performy? Yeah. And it's just, my friends are being too kind. Mm -hmm. It's like, Oh God, that's not funny. And of course (laughs) I have some irresponsible jokes like you do when you're young. Or just, I call them also like three or four year jokes. Like a comic reaches three or four years and they're like, I thought of this joke and they do it. And you're like, you in hundreds before you, Mm. before they dropped it when they realized that it's like essentially hacky. (laughs) Yeah. But yeah, 
Um, I think it was just, yeah, overperformative. And I don't know. Yeah, mostly that. Mostly hacky. I did stand up for less than a second. And, and one of the times I did it, um, like right before, not right before I went on, pretty close to before I went on, I, I all of a sudden like added a whole bit about airplanes. <laughs> and, I, <laughs> and, and there was actually a sort of a, a comedian that I sort of respect in the audience. And I think about that and I, um, I want to kill myself. <laughs> That's <laughs> cringe. Yeah. Like, well, I don't know why I thought that that was, there that are, just shows how much I, I, how that just shows how inexperienced I was. that I didn't realize how extremely hacky airplane jokes are. That being said, you know, if you come up with your own but mine thing, weren't. <laughs> mine, it mine weren't fun. great. Yeah. Like I mean, I, cause I, I started with airplane material. I mean, cause I was flying since I was six, so I definitely had it. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I started, I remember, I remember I, I, it's in my journal. I keep everything like a pack rat. And so I have journals, of course, of Cellus and it says Airtran, you know, <laughs> cause I remember that was the first airline that I recalled. We, we always liked to fly Delta, but then my dad would go Airtran cause it was cheaper. I'm and not familiar with Air AirTran. I think they're dead now. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, it was along the lines of like you had to pay extra for an aisle or exit, and that was like, what? Wow, yeah. Now it's like, pay pay if you want extra air um, <laughs> <Right>. to breathe. <laughs> Otherwise, take a nap. <laughs> um, but yeah. Anyway, it was just along the line, and I had references that were hacky. I, I'm not kidding you. I think at one point, and this is very embarrassing. I had like a Fresh Prince of Bel Air joke that was like me just singing the li- like saying the lyrics as if they it was my life <laughs> I, I, like I but was, that sounds actually funny it did get laughed but it was also like what are we doing here mm-hmm. um but I, it was like me being like i was born in west philadelphia like west philadelphia born and raised you know i spent a lot of time on the playground chilling out just like max and relaxing you know it was like me <laughs> doing <laughs> until people finally got it and they're like okay that's funny but now i'm like oh beth <laughs> but um yeah, I don't know where I was going with that. Just well, embarrassing tales. Oh, airplane material. Yeah. Since we're talking about Tacky sensitivity, stuff. I feel like I need to circle back now and say that when I made that reference to killing myself, oh, okay. that was potentially insensitive sure. to people who have. Yeah. I'm sorry. That was not, I wasn't doing it. Okay. I, I did not mean no. <laughs> the people around them. The people. Okay. Sorry. Look. <laughs> My I'll take, listener, I'll take listeners of all kinds. So, so I can say that. He did well, when? This was when we were young. Um, but yeah, I, 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 uh, yeah, I found him. And then how I... Did he, how did he do it? It was pills. Mm-hmm. And then um, I was like three. And then my, my mom said she heard me a little come up the stairs. Oh, pitter-patter. Mom. And then she called the ambulance and they came. And I remember taking him a Kroger fruit basket. That's nice. We went to Kroger. We bought a fruit basket. We brought it to him in the hospital. That's what you want when you've tried to end it all. Yeah. Um, do you remember? So you remember I this? I remember those things. And, you know, it's hard to say as you, I'm, you know, you get older, what was reminisced about or mm-hmm. told to you or what. But I, I have very vivid feelings and memories of the, pl- the green plastic on the fruit basket. And I loved Kroger. I don't necessarily remember what my dad looked like there or mm-hmm. what, or saying anything to him when I, mean, I was really young. I don't necessarily remember, but you also have photos. Like I remember there's a photo of me around that time wearing like a Cookie Monster blue nightshirt, Cookie Monster um, slippers mm-hmm. with the little hard googly eyes probably starting to get rubbed off. <laughs> and my whoopee, my blankie was pink at the time and then I poured, spilled grape juice on it and then I got a new one from my grandmother, but... Yeah, and my short little hair. So it's like I can remember what I look like in front of the cupboard. Right. Like you see a photo and you're like, well, that's where it was. I just, obviously we didn't take a pic (laughs) of that. Mm. So yeah, I I kind of don't remember and then I do. Mm -hmm. I also remember having such vivid memory of like even the layout of my grandma's house in Beaver Creek before they moved down to Orlando, which is why my dad even lives there now. His family's down there. Yeah, and it's kind of like, what do I remember? What do I really know? Yeah. You know, because your little life is obviously from waist down. That's, yeah, I have memories of my mom's parents' house. They died, her parents died when I was six. So this is like very early memories, but they're all sort of, it, all what would, what's at like waist high or below yeah. the memories. But but it's funny, I, I sometimes when I'm trying to fall asleep, I sort of like transport myself 
uh, into the house and, and try to see how much I can remember. And it's a lot of the memory is there. Mm-hmm. I know that, you know, sometimes when I, I love reading autobiographies, especially from comics and, um, I don't know. When I read them, I'm like, this is freaking amazing. And it's making me laugh and it's fascinating. But how do they remember all of this? Yeah. I'm kind of like, is it real? Or what's wrong with me? Mm -hmm. Like, I even freaking read something that I wrote really, like a journal entry, essentially, that was really intense. And I'm reading it. I'm like, is this my writing? And it's in my computer. It's in my notes. And it's like dated. And I'm like, is this me? I'm like, I don't remember writing it. You know what I'm saying? Like, Mm -hmm. you can just go back Mm -hmm. and read stuff and you're like, how? I mean, that's weird to me. Mm -hmm. I think because my world is so much stand-up and it's repetitive. I talked about this a little bit on Jesse Fox's podcast where, because his thing's all about a particular joke he used to tell. Oh, is that a good one? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so, and I mentioned this on there, but it's like, it's true. My life has become stand-up in that what I've chosen to talk about is now my memory. Yes. And I don't like that, <laughs> quite frankly. Um, you know what you would like? Hmm. Super comfortable, stylish underwear like MeUndies. Ooh. You probably spend about 90% of your life in underwear. So why are underwear brands for women all about how high can this thong go up my butt? I'm personally kind of anti-thong. I just don't I'm ever. not into them. I don't find them comfortable. I don't find them comfortable. And then women are like, well, it's just going to go up there anyway. I'm like, no, Get a pair of underwear not. that. What is your underwear doing to you? Yeah. MeUndies use the coveted micromodal fabric, which is three times softer than cotton. Uh, it's super, super duper soft. Uh, and they are also, they have like fun different styles. My husband is a huge MeUndies fan. I think if you were to throw open his underwear drawer, first of all, I'd be like, why are you in there? But second of all, you'd notice that it's almost all MeUndies. He's got St. Patrick's Day MeUndies. He has Valentine's Day MeUndies. We even have some matching, but we don't wear them at the same time. Uh, <laughs> And also, if you're looking to help your man replenish his top drawer, MeUndies now offers the new boxer brief with fly. It's the same cut as the boxer brief, but now with the added option for guys who uh, want a fly. Um, But why stop at undies? They also offer lounge pants, bralettes, and onesies as well. Uh, And MeUndies has a great offer for my listeners. For any first-time purchasers, when you get MeUndies, you get uh, 15% off and free shipping. Get 15% off a pair of the most comfortable underwear you will ever put on. To get your 15% off your first pair, free shipping, and a 100% satisfaction guarantee, go to MeUndies.com slash Allison. That's MeUndies.com slash Allison. MeUndies.com slash Allison. Okay. I'm going to. Do it. Thank you. Let me know how you feel. I love the modal. It's so, is that how you say it? Am I saying it wrong? I don't know. What did you say? I said modal. I think it's modal. Whatever. Producer Tony. E. Tony Thaxton. M-O-D-A-L. Is this the longest I've gone without speaking? Possibly. Um, How would you say it? I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't know that I've Tony, heard it. You weren't even up, speaking though. to the point where I didn't think you ever were. <laughs> I didn't think maybe he ever, I, you know, I, he gets I, to speak. I, I am. Allison does allow it, but yeah. I'm still, I, I get, it's been a while now. Yeah. I've been working for, yeah. for like half a year now, I guess, but I feel Has like it been I'm, that long. I think it feels it has so been, know, we were right? Beth before we started, Tony and I were talking about how weird and you and I were kind of like how weird time time is yeah. kind of elastic as you get older. Yes. Tony, I feel like you're very new. I know. And, and so do I. And so that's why I feel like I'm still like figuring out All right, yeah. when when should I chime sure. in? When do I shut up? And yeah. yeah. So and and I'm not going to lie. I feel like I'm starting a little bit. I feel like I'm a little hopped up on cold medicine right now. I'm oh, a little, a little loopy. Yeah. Just feeling a little like sometimes I'm not totally here so i'm gonna apologize <laughs> what kind of cold medicine is this that sounds fun uh, i uh, i don't know it's just an unmarked box i just grabbed you know. <laughs> smart I, I don't remember what it was right it's something we had in the house um not nyquil i'd be asleep right now <laughs> Maybe i should try cold. that then when i have my nine cups of coffee oh yeah nyquil so you're NyQuil still drinking coffee yes but i'm exaggerating by nine although i have i have had nine cups in a day i'm sure at some point now i have two it's just it's a cycle this is this is the kind of stuff i should talk about on childish my podcast with greg fitzsimmons which is our parenting but not just parenting podcast but anyway it's a whole thing because i what'd you say i love greg you guys worked on crashing together right Mm -hmm. um i drink coffee to be awake enough to take care of the kids in the morning but then i um 
I'm so tired that I feel like I need to drink more coffee and then I can't sleep and it's just a cycle Yeah, and I don't know how to break it. And I look forward to the coffee in the morning. So, yeah. And then also later in the day. I think this, the switch people sometimes make is like when they're going vegan or something and then they go matcha tea or something. Yes. I think I've tried it and I don't like it. I don't but think it's for me. I don't think so either. Um, Maybe chai tea. The MeUndies thing was making me think about, it's like near, as you were talking, I was like, oh my God. Because uh, remember this particular thong that I had in high school, it was like black, pleathery sort of almost in oh a way, my, but like bunchy abuse. as well. <laughs> you know, it's like bunchy and pleathery. Of course. Like yeah. Two small gold rings at the front or the side or something, and then just the string for the butt. And I remember I'm realizing now, because like I didn't have a car, definitely did not have a cell phone. And I think my mom had to take me to Lazarus or Elder Beerman. And it was like, mom, I need a pair of underwear. Like we didn't just go shopping. Right. And I need an underwear. And then I think I either was working with my money at the time, like I had a job. And so it's like, maybe I bought it, but it was like a mission to to get get that thong, but like hide it. Mm. Did you have a boyfriend? Yeah. And that's the other sick part. Appreciate this bunchy thong. I think he liked it, but was also just like, liked me. So whatever. He wasn't like demanding that I wear sexy underwear, but I think I was like, I'm going to get this. Mm -hmm. He's going to like it. But yeah, I was like, bunch of front so area, uncomfortable. up your butt. I was just thinking, it's kind of like sad and sick. But also, I I sometimes mentor over, I don't even know, last year or two, young people who want to be stand-ups, like elementary school. And oh, then, that's cool. Is that through a program? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Stand-up with comedy. And um, anyway, more recently, we had someone who was about to be, who was an eighth grader. You know, we would meet one-on-one. And, um, just hearing like some of the tales from around school that were going around that I'd be like, how, how are things going? You know? And she'd say like, oh, this rumor is going around or I'm, cause she was kind of, um, she was kind of getting in trouble a little and she mm-hmm. was expressing like, it just sucks cause this rumor is going around or that her particular weren't associated with this, but she was talking about some of the, some of the boys and like what they do or what they're asking of them. And she's, it's so advanced. And then I'm like, that was me. I was you, like, were you fast? Fast. <laughs> I mean, we didn't have phones and I wasn't texting nudes, thankfully, or anything like that. But I'm not surprised when any of them do. Mm-hmm. I think now people are like the younger generation is like trickier in the sense that like they'll get a penis off Google and send it, you know, oh, see, as opposed to sending their own penis. <laughs> it's smart. It's just smart. Yeah. Um, do you feel like an adult? Because that's something I struggle with. No, no. Does anyone, I feel like more of one now that I have kids, but Mm -hmm. I still don't truly feel like an adult in the way that as a kid I thought I would. Yeah. And also it's just like, there's whatever, you're always constantly changing, but you know, you were discussing trying to find your ends. Like, you know, do I talk here? Do I say Mm -hmm. that? You're you're constantly, you're, you might be exhausted. Well, not just because you're feeling under the weather, but you might leave here exhausted from decision fatigue Mm -hmm. about when I should talk, when I should, okay. And that's how you I like feel to like, keep him in that position. <laughs> and, yeah. And that's how you feel like in a writer's room. You know, you might leave exhausted and you're like, why am I tired? I sat around a table and made jokes with people all day. Yeah. But it's like, think about all the jokes you didn't say, all the times you thought. Well, other It's like decision fatigue. I talked about this with Andrew Overdahl, who wrote Those Who Can't. And it's like, it's one of those things where you're, you're constantly trying to be like, okay, here's where I am. And you're coming up and, and, and at your job and you're trying to like make yourself valuable and then and that's like a very kid sister or brother attitude you know like i am going to be here and i'm going to work and i'm do good and so then when it maybe time comes your time to be the host or something i'm not saying this is what you want to do or whatever but like tony don't you dare compete with me (laughs) it's hard to make the switch because you're used to being kid sister supporter i write for you this or that so why would i believe that i'm in charge as the Mm -hmm. adult who put me in charge and especially in the comedy world or even just entertainment industry you're constantly being like am i good enough to get the job did i get it did i get it did i get it not like i took it because it was mine yeah some people are like that and i'm baffled by them me too but yeah there is an adulthood in saying which i try to tell myself i'm good at what i do if you weren't you wouldn't be you know be working on x y or z um don't second guess what you bring to the table chime in you know but like finding your place can be so much of that for a while. Even I just wrote on a movie that will come out in August called good boys. And, uh, I was on set writing and it's like, even that was like, 
I'm here because I'm funny. Don't be afraid to say, what if we did this here? Because it could make the movie better, you know? And so finally I felt comfortable and stuff. And it was nobody's fault that like they weren't making me feel uncomfortable. They're all great to work with. But it's just like believing in yourself enough. It's tough. Yeah. To it's tough. Mm-hmm. Chime in. Um, we need to wrap up, but we have a bunch of questions people sent in on Patreon and Twitter. So we're going to do those in a special Patreon segment after this. Um, but I do want to tell everyone to go check out your new talk show, oh, Drinks yeah. of My Life. Yes. Um, which the only the, the first episode is the only one out yet, yes. right? It's yeah. so the mini bar stuff. Oh, good. <laughs> I know that's when a little mini bird girl. Yeah, she likes that's mini, hilarious. She, well, she loves Guy Fieri, but so we had a little guy, almost like Guy Fieri type bar. But yeah, a tiny little bird girl. We did something special for each guest, um, kind of catered to to their personality. Who are the other guests, or is that a surprise? I don't think it's a surprise. Mm, you heard it here first. Um, <laughs> Fortune Feimster. Um, she and I were on the Netflix, the stand-ups together. We have Joel Kim Booster, who started in Chicago together. Johnny Pemberton. He and I were new faces together in Montreal and Natasha Legero, who I wrote for on another period. She is someone when we were talking earlier about people who won't apologize. I remember she got flack for something she said on like some New Year's special. Yeah, it, it was about um, veterans, SpaghettiOs. Yes, yeah, something like that. And she's just was like, I'm not going to apologize. I think that. Yeah. And she had a reason. But it, I like I said, sometimes sometimes I admire that stance just because it's so opposite of what I ever would be Mm -hmm. I think yeah and also that's a huge part of like everything is even going back to the comparing thing where it's like I could be over here like oh my god and then I can look at one New York comic who's like arguing why we should keep saying the R word Mm -hmm. you know what I mean so it's like wow there's a real spectrum (laughs) right (laughs) Beth Stelling it was so nice having you on the show uh plug all your stuff tell people where they can find you Okay, sweetbeth.com backslash tour, just like S-W-E-E-T. I, I love sweets. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to be in Vegas. Well, I'm in Brooklyn. I don't know when this comes out. This will come out a week from Monday. Okay, so you're going to miss me in Brooklyn, but come to Vegas, Jimmy Kimmel's Comedy Club, June 6th. That's a Thursday. I'm the guinea pig for a little taping. Nice. So you should come and laugh and be in the audience of Jimmy Kimmel Live. And... um. And then Drinks of My Life, which is on uh, Thrillist's YouTube. I have a podcast called We Called Your Mom. We're going to do a live one from Just for Last Montreal, me and my mom. Guest is TBD. And um, I think that's it. I don't even know. Your social media? Do you want to toss that out? On social media, you can find me at Beth Stelling across everything. Wonderful. Thank you. Uh, I'm at Allison Rosen on Twitter and Instagram. If you like what you're hearing, subscribe, leave a comment, check out my other podcast with Greg Fitzsimmons called Childish, um, and go to AllisonRosen.com for uh, ringtones, t-shirts, pins. I have a book. All that stuff is on my website. Tony, where do we find you? Uh, at Tony Thaxton on Twitter and Instagram. And I'll try to figure out when I can post. Find the right times to post. So Please I'm not do. Doing it the yeah, wrong time, exactly. So. I don't... in etc um <laughs> i what a strong finish uh thank you again listeners thank you for listening i love you goodbye hey do you know about the allison rosen show we had a good time